it's been quite a week. Now, I feel like I say that a lot now. Like, it's almost like my, my standard intro. Wow, what a week it's been. Glad you guys all made it to church because it's been a heavy week. But it does feel like that's the way things are. It, it almost seems like we're in this, as a, as a city, as a nation, as a world, it's almost like we're in this semi-permanent state of heaviness. Do you guys feel that? I mean, you, you look at the news and always the news has been doom and gloom, but it feels like it's worse doom and gloom. <laughs> and and you, you go to stores, you talk to friends, you talk to neighbors, coworkers, classmates, and everybody's just like, what is going on? What is happening with political things? What is happening in my neighborhood? What is happening with health stuff and viruses and pandemics? And what's happening with this and that? And, oh, the economy's going to crash. And there's inflation coming and there's this and there's that. And it's like, ugh. This is the kind of life that we're, we're surrounded by right now. Which is one of the reasons that it's actually good to come to church and be with other Christians that are building their lives on the promises and the goodness of God that's beyond all this stuff. It's good to be able to get together and to strengthen one another and remind each other of the truths that are greater than the circumstances of life that we find ourselves in right now. It's one of the many reasons why it's so important to remain deeply connected to each other. Because that's something that I've experienced this week. Um, back to the baptism and some other things happening in life with, with people that I know and love and, and care for. One of the things that I've seen in the middle of all this heaviness is I see these little glimpses of God's beauty in it. I see other people that have hope and joy of the Lord in their lives. I see God answering prayer and moving in powerful ways among people. Being at that baptism on Friday night and watching people come down into the waters of baptism and say, hey, God changed my life and I'm getting baptized. That's beautiful. These are, these are signs of life when we're surrounded by so many signs of, of death. So it's good that you're here. It's good that you continue to come to church. It's good that you're with the people of God. It's good that you're spending time with the Lord in his word. This is important for all of us. And today, as we begin the, the second letter of Peter, I'm, I'm gonna do it a little bit differently than I normally would. Usually when we start a new book of the Bible, I spend at least the first week and I go through kind of the, the history surrounding that book. I, I talk about the, the dates and the locations and the main characters of the book. And we talk about the themes that we find through, throughout the letter. But it, it's a little different with this one because we're following 1 Peter. All right? So a lot of the, the, the stuff that I usually would go through with that, we've already done in 1 Peter. And if you weren't here for 1 Peter, don't worry. You can go back and... and uh, take a look at the podcast from January is actually when we started first Peter and when we started first Peter I did two weeks where we just dove into that very thing the history behind these two letters we looked at Peter the apostle who is the author of these two letters and all of the, the stories that we found in the gospels about his life because Peter is one of the most well-known um, characters in the bible we know a lot about him. We, we experience a lot about him. He's one of those, those people in the Bible that you know more than just a name. You almost feel like you get to know that guy. 
You know what it's like if, uh, if you've ever um, been into a, a show of some sort and you learn these characters that are part of the recurring characters on a show. Now, if you saw that person at the mall or whatever, you'd think, oh, I know them. <laughs> you don't know them. You might know their character, but they may be completely different than the character that they act like on TV, right? Well, with, with certain characters in the Bible, we get to know them because we know so much about their lives. Peter is one of the people that we know best through the scripture because we have so many stories and we see so much of how he responded to things that happened in his life and, and, and we know a lot about him. So we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time going into that because I don't feel like a real deep dive is needed, but we're still gonna do a little bit of an overview of what we're gonna find out here um, in 2 Peter. So if you've not already turned to 2 Peter, like me, go ahead and do that. Um, and, and as we get in to, to 2 Peter, the first thing I'm gonna tell you a little bit about is as we give this overview is the author. As I've already said, it tells us right there in 2 Peter chapter one, the first two words are Simeon Peter. All right, the author of this second letter, the second Peter is Peter. Just like the author of 1 Peter was Peter, the author of 2 one is 2 Peter is, is Peter, Simon Peter. Now, you might notice here the first word that you saw there, Simeon. You might be like, wait, I don't remember that. I just know him as Simon Peter. A lot of people have referred to him, he's referred to in the Gospels as Simon Peter. Yes, same guy, no difference here. Simeon is the Hebrew spelling of Simon which is the Greek spelling, okay? And they lived in a world that was very much bilingual, more than we even live in. In fact, most of their area was trilingual. Most people spoke Greek, which was the language of the Roman Empire. For if you were Jewish, you would also speak Hebrew. But then if you just lived in the region of Galilee and all those areas like Peter did and grew up there, you'd speak Aramaic. So Jesus and the disciples, probably all of them were at least trilingual, okay? And that's what we see here, Simeon Peter, Simon Peter. Now, this is the same Peter, like I said, that we know from 1 Peter and throughout the Gospels. He's the fisherman from Galilee that was turned to an apostle. He was a central figure in the Bible. He's one of Jesus' closest personal relationships on earth. When you go through and you study the Gospels and you read through the life of Jesus, you'll see Peter pop up over and over and over among the 12 disciples of Jesus, Peter is always the one listed first. He was always the one that was gonna be with Jesus. And part of that is because of his personality. Peter had a big personality. He was a guy that would come into a room and you'd know he was there. He's not, he wasn't the kind of guy that would kind of just stay quiet in the background and you're, you're not sure if Peter's around. He was, he was out there. He was, he was a big personality. And that's part of why we know him so well. Now, I will say this about the second letter of Peter. Some scholars dispute the authorship of this. They just said, oh, we found this letter. And yeah, it says Peter on the top, but I think we would have probably heard about it before because it's from Peter. And back in those days, in the first century, a lot of times people would write things and attribute them to a different author just because they really looked up to that person. Um, but I don't see any real compelling proof that it isn't and, and wasn't written from Peter. And so that's what, what we will, how we will approach it, looking at it, that it is Peter. And this letter was likely written by Peter from a Roman prison shortly before his death. 
All right, and tradition tells us that Peter died in 67 or 68 AD. Not 1967 or 2000, it's 67, all right, 67 or 68. And, and we know that Peter had been arrested for his faith as a Christian, was held in a Roman prison in Rome for quite some time before ultimately he would be executed by the Roman uh, Caesar Nero at the time. Okay? Now, as far as, as theme of this letter, it's a short little letter. It's only three chapters. And as far as what we find in here in content, we're going to see uh, in chapter 1 of Second Peter that Peter knew his life was almost over. All right? So when he writes this letter, Peter knows his days are short. He's, he's been in prison for a while. And in fact, if you go through and study Peter, Peter has also escaped from prison multiple times. Peter in, in the Gospels was one of those apostles that was locked up. And all of a sudden in the middle of the night, an angel appears and takes the chains off of Peter's feet, walks him out of the prison through the front door, drops him off at the front gate of the city. And Peter's thinking, I just, I'm having a wild dream as I'm in prison. And then the angel leaves and he's like, wait a minute, I'm actually out of here. <laughs> um, so he's escaped prison before in the past, or, or been released, I should say, from prison. But in this case, when he's in this prison, he knows his days are short. And it's not just a weird premonition that he has. As we're going we're gonna to see, God himself was preparing him for his death. In fact, even when, when Peter was with the resurrected Jesus... Way back in John 21, before Jesus had ascended to the Father, Jesus even alluded to the fact with Peter. He told him, hey, you remember that? We looked at this a couple weeks ago when Jesus and Peter have this dialogue and, and Jesus tells Peter, I'm restoring you and putting you back together. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Ask him again, yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do, Lord. You know I do. You know all things. At that very, in that same conversation at the end, one of the things that, that Jesus said to Peter was, one day when you're old, you're going to stretch out your arms and go places that you don't want to go. Referring to the death that he would die, it tells us there in, in Scripture. So Peter already knew that someday he would, he would be dying um, for his faith. But now we see that God has spoken to him even more clearly that he knows my day's coming. I don't know, I admit, that's not how things usually go. Um, some of you may have scary premonitions sometimes and you're like, ooh, this could be it. Every time you get on an airplane, you're like, what would happen if this plane goes down, you know? Or these, these places, these, these things, that's not usually how it is, but God had a specific job for Peter and with him, that gave him a supernatural insight into what his timeline would be. Now, what if that was you? How would that affect you? What if this afternoon when you go home from church and you're eating some food, sitting on the couch, hanging out, God appears and says, hey, I'm giving you three more days. It's time. It's time for you to come to heaven with me. You've got a short little period of time. I just wanted you to know. How would that impact you? What would you do differently? Who would you call? What would you say? What would you do? It's going to change some things, right? It's going to change some things. Would you do anything differently? And when we're confronted with death, whether it's of a loved one 
or a, a family member or an acquaintance, even a stranger, when we hear that, man, somebody died, that impacts us. If any of you have ever had like near-death experiences, I've only had a couple where I'm like, that was close. <laughs> but at the end of that, it impacts you. You're like, whoa, what if this had been the end for me? It puts us in this reflective state and we consider our lives and what, what matters. And that's where we find this letter being written. Peter's at the spot where he knows my time's very short. And he's been thinking about and praying about, okay, Lord, what next? What do I need to say? What do I need to do? Because it is short here. And the letter, this letter is going to record some of those things that Peter felt were important for him to leave for the believers that would carry on without him. You might look at it as almost a, a last will and testament. Kind of Peter's, his legacy here, a final message. And he's going to approach these matters of life and death. All right? Now, Peter lived about 35 years or so after Jesus had ascended. So one of the things that we have to remember is that this is the end of Peter's life, but we know a lot of the stories from earlier in Peter's life, like 35 years earlier. I'm not, I'm not sure about all of you, but those of you who have lived enough years to, to put a few decades behind you, you probably don't want people to think about who you were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago. There may be some changes in your life. I mean, if you went back and met me at age 15, 16, you'd have been like, that is a punk kid. Like, you know, a whole different deal, right? And, and, and this is part of what we know. We have this gap with Peter. We read the Gospels. We see some of these stories. And we know how he was at that age. But this is, remember, 35 years later. And in it, that's been a lot of life. And the letter that we read here in 2 Peter is the work of a mature believer whose life has been transformed. There's a lot of things that have changed in Peter. And when we go through it and we study it, we're going to remember some of those stories of Peter. Uh, for, for instance, just as an example to see the spiritual growth that we've seen. You, you probably remember the, the story of Peter and the rooster. Now, you might not have ever thought of it called that. But in the Bible, there's a story about the, the last night of Jesus' life when Jeter, Jesus tells all the disciples, hey, guys, tonight you guys are gonna, you're gonna scatter from me. This is gonna be a night where everything that I've been warning you about and telling you about, if I'm coming into Jerusalem and I'm gonna to have to die, that's all happening right now. And you guys are gonna scatter. And if you remember that story, Peter is the one who stands up and says, look, I don't know about the rest of these losers, but no matter what happens, Jesus, I'm with you. You're with me, I'm with you. And if it takes me to the death, I will stick right by your side. Remember the whole story, right? We've heard this, we know this, it's a well-known story. But then what happens? Peter, after saying that, Jesus says, sorry, Peter, and just for you to know, there's a rooster in your future. And it's gonna crow two times in this night when morning about breaks. And in that time, you're gonna have already denied me three times. And Peter's like, no way, no way, no way. But as the night goes on, what happens? Jesus gets arrested. He's taken to the courtyard of the high priest. Peter follows along at a distance because he's, 
he thinks, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? This is crazy, and Jesus told us this, but I'm still not ready for it. He comes in here and ends up being confronted by some of the people there in the courtyard, and he's like, no, 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 I don't know Jesus. I'm not with that guy. He does it, and a rooster crows. He does it again, and then again. And after the third time he denies Jesus, he hears a rooster crow again. And he breaks down and weeps because he realizes, I was a coward. I was so afraid. I was so full of fear. It tells us a little servant girl came up and confronted me and I couldn't even tell her that I was with Jesus. Right? That's the Peter that we know. We know some of those stories. But here's something, when we go through this letter, when Peter knows I'm about to die, the the Peter from 35 years ago would have been freaked out. He would have been in the Roman prison, curled up in a ball. Oh no, mommy, mommy, where are you? But that's not what we find. In fact, through this letter, even though he knows it's all over and it's done, we do not see fear in this letter. As he lays this out for people, he says, you're going to see the confidence that he has. He has courage. He's no longer that mix of kind of bravado and fear at the same time like he was when he was younger. In the face of death here, there's an absence of fear. And it's that life of walking with God year after year, day after day, that gave Peter the confidence and faith instead of the crippling fear that he'd experienced back in the courtyard. And that example is going to be an example for us to strengthen our faith and cause us to set our eyes on Jesus like he did. So a few more just matters of life and death that we're going to cover here in 2 Peter before we jump into these verses. Matters of life and death. One of the big things that we find in 2 Peter is an admonition to holy living, even in the face of false teachers and evil. What he says is, look, things are going to get rough in this life, but you can live a holy life and a righteous life. That's what we're called to. That's who we are as Christians. You can do this. All right, we're also going to have a reminder of the trustworthiness of the Bible as a guide for living. Peter is going to say, hey, there's going to be things that you try to figure out in life and you try to make sense of it in your head and you talk to your friends and you talk to your parents and other wise people and it still doesn't make a lot of sense. You can find that guidance in the scripture. He's also going to to give us a confidence in the coming judgment of God. He's going to say, yeah, there's people that will come along and say, this God, are you sure he's actually out there because things keep on going? Hundreds of years, centuries go by, and nothing seems to happen. I'm not so sure about your God. He says, you can trust. God knows what he's doing there. And also, just a call to keep our eyes on the return of Jesus and the life to come. So today, we're going to look at the foundation of all those things found in the first two verses. And they are a matter of life. All right, so read with me here. 2 Peter chapter 1 Verse 1, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, this is just a beautiful intro to a letter. As we've talked about before, in this um, 
time of history, people didn't sign letters at the end. They didn't have a signature attached to an email. Um, They signed a letter at the beginning. And that's what happens here. It starts out by saying, this is the person writing this letter. It's me, Simon Peter. And in this, he starts off with just a blessing and prayer for grace and peace. But what I want us to focus on this morning is who the letter is addressed to. Look there again with me. He says, this is to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now, who's that? Who are the people that have the equal faith to an apostle? Peter. You might be like, oh, okay, we're reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> because this is, this is, you know, those guys, the apostles, the ones that have, are of faith, right? That's right. But as we go on here, as we start understanding this, we start thinking about, well, what else could that mean? Peter. Peter was the one who walked on water with Jesus. Peter was the one who'd healed the sick and cast out demons. Peter was the one who traveled and lived daily with Jesus. He was present on the day of Pentecost. He had seen and touched the resurrected Jesus. And he's like, that guy with that faith, who that guy is. No, what we know is that those people that have that equal footing, that faith, are just people of faith. You and me, those who have put our trust and faith in Jesus. And the reason that he's building from there is because that's where he's calling us for our identities to be rooted in. And that's what I want us to understand here as we go through this, as we talk about our identity in Christ. Because all of the challenge that we see in this letter, all the admonitions and the reminders are useless unless you're a person of faith. And if you're a person of faith, a believer in our Savior, Jesus, if that's who you are, these things all apply to you. And that's the ground floor that everything else is built upon. The commands, the challenges, the promises, and the benefits are for us. Now, if you've heard me speak very many times in the past several years, you know that I often will point us back to our identity in Christ. I tell you often, and part of it's because I know I need to hear it, and so I assume that you probably need to hear it too, that we need to know that our identity is in Christ. And we need to understand what that means because it sounds kind of complicated, but we need to understand that that's who we are because understanding our identity in Christ, I believe, is one of the most pivotal things for our spiritual growth and health. It's very important. And many people who have even said, I want to put my trust and faith in Jesus, and they they pray a prayer, and they, they believe in God, they still stay really stunted in their growth as Christians. They're like, yeah, I've been walking with God for 50 years. It hasn't really changed me much, but I know I'm going to heaven. And I'm not questioning that, whether or not they're going to heaven and whether they were, were genuine in the, when they prayed the prayer. It's not about that. It's part of it is not understanding who we are and what that actually means and how that's going to change us. We only understand part of the gospel message. We know that we're sinners that needed a savior and we know that Jesus is the one, so we got that part right. But what we don't realize is as he saves us, he then begins to transform us. 
He gives us his Holy Spirit to indwell us and change our lives. You're not supposed to be the same person after walking with God for 35 years like Peter did 35 years later. Yes, part of your your personality and who you are, those things are the same. But the way you live life, the life that is within you is changed. That's what's supposed to happen as we walk with God. And that's what we're going to find here as we go through here. But without understanding that, it stunts our growth and it restricts our worship. And what Peter is describing is foundational to our faith. The belief that Jesus can save us and that our trust is in him to do it. That's what allows us to stand on equal faith. Or the equal footing with the saints of history. Now, our functional faith may not be equal to those guys. You might have been the the person in the boat when Jesus calls Peter to step out on the water and start walking on the water. He might have called you too and you'd look over the edge and be like, I'm good, I'll just stay right here. We'll let Peter go and do that walking on water thing. That may be what's going on uh, functionally, but our saving faith is equal. Our saving faith is equal. Why is that? Because our righteousness is Jesus's righteousness. It's not from you. Okay, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he, the father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Listen to this. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that we have, the reason we can stand on an equal footing with St. Peter is because the righteousness that we have isn't from us. The righteousness we have is from Jesus. That's what's been imputed on us, put upon us, given to us by him. And if you have faith in Jesus as your savior, that's the righteousness you're living from. That's the righteousness you have. That's the power for transformation in your life. And that's an important truth. And it's a truth that we're called to live into. You're supposed to live like that. And that's sometimes hard to do. We have to be reminded that we are saints. We are holy. We are his children. Jesus' inheritance is ours. We're righteous and we have the opportunity to live like it. Because here's the thing. We've got this identity in Christ that I'm describing to you. That Jesus says, I am going to give you my righteousness That's how you can live your life. This is who you can be. But most of the time, even as Christians, a lot of times we want to live in our fallen identity. Our fallen identity. We we know, okay, yeah, I've, I've got Jesus in my life, but this is kind of where I spend more of my time. And that perspective is 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 different than the way that that we're called to view ourselves. Most of the time, uh, or at least much of the time, we look at our fallenness and our brokenness, our sinfulness and our wickedness, our failures, our weaknesses. And those things are the things that we're living from. Here's how you know. Ask yourself some of these questions. How do I approach my daily walk with God? How do I approach it? How do I read the Bible? What kind of perspective do I have of things when I read the Bible? How do I pray? How do I participate like we're going to do here at the end of this service in communion? How do I approach God in worship? 
when we come in here to begin singing songs together as a church on a Sunday morning? How do you feel when you walk in the door? Do you walk in thinking, oh, here I come before the almighty God. This isn't good. I hope lightning's not striking today. (laughs) Is it the kind of thing when you pray, you're like, oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. You read the Bible, it's like every bad thing, you dirty, rotten sinner. Oh, that's me. This verse is for me. Is that how you approach it? Is that how you think about yourself? And the way that you, you deal with your relationship with God. Now, I want you to understand here, I'm not advocating self-righteousness. I'm not saying you should be walking around thinking that, oh, well, I'm something. The pastor told me, I'm like, I'm like Jesus, I got so much righteousness. So this is how I need to walk around. When I walk in that door, it's like, Jesus is here, people. That's not necessarily where it's supposed to be either, right? Jesus talks about that very thing in Luke chapter 18, 9 to 14. It'll be here on the screen for you. Here's what he says to some self-righteous people. And he, told, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here's what he tells this, this story in Luke. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, that's a religious leader, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. And when he says he's standing by himself, he's like, everybody, make sure you know I'm here and get ready for the prayer. And then here's what he says. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And and that's basically the end of his prayer. But the the tax collector, who this guy's pointing out, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what's Jesus say about that? He says, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. But listen to what he says. For everyone who exalts himself, like this Pharisee, he'll be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee was self-righteous and unjustified before God. The tax collector was justified, but he didn't yet know the transformative power of God. You see the difference here of what's happening? And when we embrace our identity in Christ... Instead of that fallen identity, we embrace that identity. We have humbled ourselves to allow him to lift us up. Like Jesus says, when you humble yourself there, that transformation can begin happening. He will lift you up. He will bring you to those, the, that place to enjoy that righteousness that you've been given. But the mistake is, for a lot of Christians, they are comfortable here. They expect to live here. And this is the way they've always known it. They may have been raised in a real religious, strict, judgmental background. And so they're used to always knowing the hammer's going to drop. The hammer's going to drop. You better do what's right. You better never make a mistake. You know, God's looking. The hellfire is real. All those statements might be true. But that's where we can get caught and hung instead of living into the goodness of God. And that's good news when we know that it's his joy to restore us and heal us and renew us. All right? Now, we often come to God with guilt 
and regret and condemnation. That's, that's part of how it is. But is that how we're supposed to live all the time? When I'm talking about things like an identity, I'm talking about a deep level of who you are and the way that you live. Is Sunday the time that you just kind of drag yourself in the back door before God in repentance and confession and then spend the rest of the week building up more baggage to go and confess again at the end of the week? Guys, a lot of people live that way. Um, And some of you know, especially if you've got uh, Roman Catholic backgrounds, it's like, ooh, don't even step foot into mass until you've hit confession. And that's how a lot of people live life. It's like, live like hell all week long, go to confession, get that stuff taken care of, then go and do the worship thing before God, and then go live like hell the rest of the week. That's, what kind of cycle is that? What, what sort of way of living is that? That's not what we're called to. And, and, and should we have sorrow over our sins? Yes, we absolutely should. Should we confess our sins and repent from them if we do sin? Yes. But we're not doomed to live in that cycle. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 2, 1 to 6. And we're almost, we're almost finished here. Hang with me just a little longer. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Jesus walk? How did Jesus live life on this earth? Was he moping around with his head hung in shame? Always having to, you know, be the last guy into synagogue full of regret? Well, no, he's Jesus. He didn't have any sins to repent of. But no, how did Jesus walk? Jesus walked in holiness and righteousness with his head held high, not because he was so glorious, which he was, but because he knew of his relationship with the Father. And and John tells us right here, yeah, you're not supposed to sin, but guess what? You're gonna sin. And if you do, we've got an advocate. But that's not where you live. You're not gonna live in this fallen identity that says, well, that's just what happens with me. I'm just one of those sinners and it keeps happening over and over and over again. And so I just deal with it and deal with it and deal with it and deal with it. All that does is leaves you at one spot in your Christian life and you never grow from it. You're stuck. Are you saved? Yeah, you're saved. But are you growing and turning into everything that God would have you turn into? No, you're hung. Don't do that. Don't be there. And if you're that person who just feels the condemnation, condemnation, I have a verse for you to memorize and it's in Romans chapter eight, one to four. Here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If we get this identity, if we live life this way, can you imagine how it changes who we are? What happens if you are walking with the righteousness of Jesus? What if you're walking in the strength of who he is rather than the fallenness of who you were? But for so many Christians, they're walking around all mopey-faced all the time, upset, no joy of the Lord, no freedom, no deliverance, no peace, all these things that the Bible promises. Is it just a bunch of flowery words? Well, that might be nice if any of that could happen. Have you seen the world we live in? No, what's happening, guys, is that we're stuck over here in this old identity, but it's not who we are. And we're called to live differently. We're called to be these people that are walking in this way. We're called to be, as Peter calls us here, those with a faith of equal standing to the saints. That's who we are. And how would the world around us view us if that's what Christians were like? If this church is full of people that are full of the joy of the Lord, whose sins have been taken care of, who have been delivered and free and are full, and the Holy Spirit is overflowing these people's lives, can you, can you imagine what that's like? Guys, nothing's stopping us. That's who we're to be. That's where we're supposed to walk. That is why he, he talks there at the end of verse two where he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's the sort of people we would be, people that are multiplying peace and grace everywhere we go. Now, I know that for many of this, many of us, this sort of thing is a big change in the way that we think. You may have spent many, many years living in that fallen identity. And he's calling you to something different. And it requires a change. It requires a transformation. And, and you know this, and you've heard me say this, spiritual transformation requires spiritual power. It's not about you trying to, all right, I'm gonna be super smiley this week at work. And people are gonna know I'm a Christian because I'm gonna walk around with a smile on my face. Everywhere I go, hi, hi. That's not it. It's not about trying to do that. It's about asking God to really change you and to really transform your heart and your life. So let's ask him to do that as we finish here this morning. Lord, I do pray for our church this morning that you would do a work among us. Lord, I want us to know today as we leave that this letter to first, the, the, of Second Peter, this letter is for us even though we have read that it is for those who have an equal standing with the apostles of old. Lord, I want us to know that it's us and I want it to be us, Lord. I want us to be people that are full of grace and full of peace. I want us to be people that are overflowing with your joy and your goodness. I want us to be people that have a courage and have a strength that is unheard of in this world because it's a strength and a grace and a peace in our lives that comes from you, that peace that passes understanding. 
And so today, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you're at work in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would do those things that you want to do in our lives, that you would change us, you would heal us, you would transform us. Allow us to be those people that walk in your spirit, that are empowered by your spirit, that know you and love you and experience you. Lord, I pray for our church services every week when we gather together, Lord. Allow us to remember who we are, remember our identity. And as we come and we worship you, Lord, that that would be something that's just gushing out of our hearts. Use us, Lord. Use this church as we go and spread your light and your life to people throughout our community. God, I pray that you would use our church to be a light because we're not the only ones living in a a really difficult period of time right now. Our neighbors live in this world. Our family members, our coworkers, our classmates, the people that work at the grocery store, the people at the mini mart where we buy our gas, all these people, they're living in this world too. And Lord, we have the hope that comes from knowing you. We have the words of life to give to those people. You sent Jesus to come and rescue sinners, to rescue the lost. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us to do that very thing. Let us be a witness of what you've done in our lives. And and in order for us to be a witness of what you've done in our lives, we have to experience the things that you're doing in our lives. So change us, Lord. Strengthen us and encourage us and transform us. Make us people that are like Jesus, that are living into the righteousness that we have in him. And use us, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. God, we're so grateful that you've done this work in our lives and are doing this work in our lives. If there are any here this morning that have not come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I just pray that you would come to the Lord right now. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would put their hope and their trust in you and that they would begin that lifelong transformation that happens when your Holy Spirit pours into their lives and begins changing them and making them more and more like Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name.